Hey traders, welcome to the 44th episode. This is a New Year's special. It's uh, 31st for the people who are living on the west coast of North America. If this is already New Year's Day, congratulations. And uh, we really want to celebrate uh, 2021 with you. And uh, we really thank you for all the support if you have been following us throughout 2020. And uh, we wish you have had a very wonderful holiday season and you're going to get back really strong for 2021 and make the most of it. I think the markets are going to be pretty pretty uh, good opportunities in my personal opinion. So we'll keep everyone updated. But thank you everyone for joining for another episode. In this episode, we will be going over some BTC information involving the last decade. A little bit of, don't want to drop too much info there. We'll be talking about some institutional uh, investment numbers, so looking at the amount of BTC in circulation, just because institutions have been buying and are planning to hold for a while, so the reduction in the amount circulated is going to increase the appreciation if the demand continues, just because there's less in circulation. Looking at the next thing we're going to be talking about is Binance. Uh, fortunately, they did did get hacked on, on some of their cover smart contracts, but CZ did come to the rescue. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll have some XRP news, and then we'll end off the podcast with some news involving Monero. So thank you very much for tuning in, and I'll pass it over on to Nathan. Appreciate you taking the time with us. The date is this January, no, sorry, it's not January. It's December 31st, almost January. What a year 2020 has been. I do not think that... If you were to rewind one year ago, anybody would be anticipating a global pandemic and to stay inside. But hey, you know what? Unique challenges create uh, unique situations for growth. And that's kind of where we found ourselves now. So wherever you may be on planet Earth, I wish you the best 2021. But we'll just jump right into the episode talking about Bitcoin closing out this decade from 2011 to 2020 as the most profitable, the most capital appreciating episode the most capital appreciating asset of this decade. And it looks like when you take the cumulative capital gains, you have 6,271,233% as the cumulative capital gain accrued in this period. Interesting to note that it is the longest by a long shot, not even close. And I think looking forward past 2020 and into 2021, I think that we're going to continue to see this trend of Bitcoin being the highest performing asset available for investors to pick. Yeah, looking a little bit down the list, if you are, let's say, investing in the NASDAQ 100, the accumulated 10 years gave you 512%. Uh, looking at, let's say, the SPX or the SPY, it's around 254%-ish. So we do see that... Um, Bitcoin is on another level. Like these numbers are uh, unattainable basically in any single asset, unless you're looking at a very small, tiny penny stock that went out to be a unicorn and is now a multi-billion dollar corporation, which does occur from time to time. But we've never really seen an asset class emerge so recently and then be looked at as a store of value globally. So... These numbers are astonishing. I think they will get less and less just because as the market matures, there's going to be less potential room for upside just because more people are using it. And um, obviously, if the market adopts like gold, the 
price to the up, I guess the appreciation to the upside is less because the market cap is already so big, less people are already going to be interested. But if it's a very early point, that explosive move can occur like we're seeing right now. So not even on the same level in terms of percentages, but I think the next 10 years will still be uh, a pretty significant difference between the more traditional assets like looking at the NASDAQ, S&P, the Russell 2000, um, kind of most stocks, I think Bitcoin will still be on top. Yeah, 100%. I think that Bitcoin has really forged its reputation as a very high ROI asset, like the Pomp likes to call it. It is a non-correlated asymmetric risk return, risk return asset where you can see substantial gains and there is usually a higher upside when compared to the downside. The one thing that will be interesting is in 10 years time, what Bitcoin's price will be. We are prospecting that it will be one of the highest performing assets of this decade that we are about, head in, about to head into, but that's the million dollar question. Where will the crypto market be in 10 years? Where will Grayscale be in 10 years? Where will MicroStrategy be in 10 years? Those are the key questions that we don't have answers for, nobody has answers for, but based on the current trajectory of inflation, the current trajectory of the value that deflationary currencies like Bitcoin bring to the table, I can only hope that the future is optimistic as these technologies get adopted and the transfer of value from fiat into sound money continues. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's going to be a cycle that uh, the early adopters are going to benefit from. And then at a later point, there's going to be a shift and really everyone's going to be looking at Bitcoin as something that they should hold, uh, especially if people have been relying on native currencies for so long. It's not inevitable, but it's very, very high likely possibility that in our lifetime, we will run into a inflationary crisis and uh, people will need to hold sound money assets. Gold and silver could be one of them, but I think with the digital world we live in today, it's just inevitable that Bitcoin or, you know, hypothetically another asset similar to Bitcoin will be the common way that people are able to store value for a long period of time. So I think it's a pretty hard thing to potentially think about, but definitely institutions are thinking that already. Uh, we do see for the percentage of Bitcoin that is out of circulation, it is 78%, which is pretty unbelievable. So there's only 22% of Bitcoin that is left for people to be trading in the open markets. So this would be institutional funds and firms buying a significant amount of BTC like Grayscale or MicroStrategy and then holding it in cold storage or however form they are looking to hold their Bitcoin. And this cannot be touched unless they want it to be sold or exchanged or whatever the case may be. Um, and this reduction in the amount that is circulating is definitely going to appreciate the price at a greater rate because there is less supply to go around for the amount of buyers in the market. If you're increasing the supply like you see with the US dollar, then the, appreci the appreciation is reduced. The, the value of that asset is not going to hold. But if you are taking the BTC away from the circulation, like institutional investors are right now, that's just going to push the price up at an even greater rate. And I think that's what we're seeing right now for BTC. Yeah, 100%. It's hard to be bearish when you have institutions buying at such a large, such a large volume and creating that illiquid supply. 
because relatively speaking, you know that these institutions are playing that game of accumulation, playing that game of basically hogging the Bitcoin so the normie society can't buy it, <laughs> and really taking stacking sats to a whole new level, because it's not like these institutions are going to be engaging in the nefarious pump and dumps that may have been so characteristic in the 2016-2017 bull run, just because I think we have seen such a high degree of capital redistribution away from central unregulated entities towards entities like BlackRock, Grayscale, where they do have some level of financial oversight and regulation, kind of keeping an eye on them, so to speak. <clears throat> so just to move on to the next story we're going to be talking about, this is coming out of finance. Basically, CZ, our Lord and Savior, uh, stepped in and he has covered the loss from a $10 million hack. The, it's a project called Cover. They had a smart contract with an infinite mining attack. And this infinite mining attack actually started three days ago on the 28th. And it looks like that the people who were completing the hack were kind of trying to go unnoticed because they were only infinitely minting small amounts on a regular basis to kind of sneak underneath the radar, so to speak. Uh, and so as a result, Binance stepped in, prevented the hackers from working anymore, and they utilized the Binance Seifu Fund, which is a secure asset fund for users, Safu, Seifu, I guess you could say. It's just basically just uh, some terminology that CZ came up with, created an acronym, and basically said that Binance will cover the bill. It totals up to 10.1 million USD, uh, which has already been distributed to the eligible users in form of BUSD, which is the Binance stablecoin, and Ethereum, which is, I mean, it's a monumental move. Yeah, Binance covers hacks. But ultimately, I do think there kind of is a downside to this from almost like the community perspective. So when you look at the retail trader or the retail investor that may have been harmed in this hack, because obviously cover lost a lot of value, so investors got harmed. That's great. They had their losses recouped. They didn't really suffer in theory because Binance covered it. <clears throat> but what's different about the situation is Binance paid them off. So in theory, the hackers didn't harm anyone. There's no really moral wrong from their perspective because they found a bug in the smart contract, let's call it, to infinitely mine cover tokens. They were doing it, crashed the price, whatever. And now it, Binance is bailing them out. Binance is effectively paying the hackers. And I think in some sense, that's kind of going to introduce a positive feedback cycle because it's no longer the hackers hurting the community, hacking the individual trader. They're basically just hacking Binance indirectly because they know that Binance has this Seifu fund. They're willing to pay capital to protect their users. And in some sense, I think it could kind of promote more nefarious activity from online actors in light that they know Binance has the cash to bail them out. I think it's a really interesting way to perceive that. And yes, it is a positive thing that they're able to provide that fund for people who have lost capital. But um, yeah, like you stated, it could kind of create a positive feedback loop and the semi-ethical people who still want to hack 
I guess, exchanges might feel like it's a better way to go instead of the people who just say, I don't care, F you, I just want to take your money and um, I'm going to do it in any means. Those people, it wouldn't really matter, but I would say for the semi-ethical people who don't want to ruin people's lives, but still want to be able to obtain wealth uh, easily by hacking into exchanges, I guess that could be um, a new, I guess, pool of people that could uh, open up and want to have that Seifu fund basically diluted in, or, or not diluted, but extracted, every dollar taken out because they know that Binance is massive and CZ has the funds for sure. So uh, hopefully it doesn't happen, but uh, they just covered 10.1 million USD like it's nothing. So we will see how it goes. Next thing we're going to be talking about is uh, the XRP collapse that has recently occurred is the third largest collapse of the coin in all time uh, in, in, in the historic price action that's ever been created. So pretty crazy. I think they are looking at it from a certain time frame because there has been a move from like the $3 range that it hit back in late 2017. And then it took a pretty pretty decent move to the downside, but the recent dump has been extremely aggressive to the downside at a very uh, quick rate. But to the 22 cent range is barely holding by a sliver. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I think with the delistings, it is going to inevitably tumble and fall breaking below the support, just because if there is a lack of liquidity and a lack of uh, if there's increased friction and a lack of liquidity, those are two things that you do not want. You want that ease of friction and you want that liquidity if people are not trading it and it's hard for uh, people who are investing in XRP to find a seller or a buyer. It's going to be a less desirable asset to trade and hold just because no one likes to have massive slippage if they're trading it and if you're investing a lack of liquidity could definitely mean something because not a lot of people are interested. So, uh, Definitely a little bit of a rough situation for XRP. We will keep everyone updated, but as of right now, it uh, definitely is not looking great from both a fundamental and technical standpoint. Yeah, I mean, we saw in January 2018 when XRP peaked, they had a market cap of almost $130 billion, which is an absolutely obscene amount of money because now they're sitting closer to $10 billion. That's a 93% decrease from that January 2018 high to December 2020. And even now, just looking at the more recent price action, we are seeing that XRP has fallen more than 65% in the last 30 days. Totally seeing that bearish momentum in light of the SEC allegations. Uh, and there is a court date, February 22nd is when the pre-trial hearings begin. And I mean, that's still a long time away. That's over a, a month away until we're even just getting the pre-trial hearings. I've said it before, and I just want to reiterate that, especially with a court case of this magnitude, any court case moves at the speed of time. You can't really rush these things. Lawyers need time to prepare with their cases, their arguments, and really the pretrial hearing is realistically just the first milestone in the completion of the case. I, I personally do not think that we will see the case resolved in 2020 just because it is such a monumental battle between the SEC and Ripple Labs. Yeah, it's going to be something that we will keep an eye on. And some companies, although not uh, major lawsuits, are getting 
a little bit of backlash from the SEC. Coinbase is one of them with the recent IPO. I think the last thing they want to be is under the hot seat with the SEC. So that could create uh, more distance away from exchanges. So overall, I think their market cap is absolutely plummeting and uh, while not bankrupt, XRP is effectively, this is where the third largest uh, collapse comes in. I was just reading a little bit further into it. XRP is effectively the third largest collapse behind Lehman Brothers and Washington Mutual. So it's definitely gone down, um, but we will see. They haven't collapsed yet. They still are holding on. They still have their strong, dedicated follower base who are holding and will, I think, buy the dip if it uh, drops below 22 cents. So uh, if you are invested, an opportunity if you are not it is just another altcoin that pumped and now is in a dump the yeah last thing... not... oh you can go ahead don't worry you got it okay sweet all right the uh last thing we'll be talking about is a little bit of news involving darknet and monero the darknet marketplace has now stopped supporting payments in bitcoin and now only accepts monero so Obviously, hopefully everyone knows that BTC is not 100% anonymous. You uh, can get caught and you do have a little bit of anonymity, but overall, you do not want to assume that you have complete anonymity if you are using BTC. And people are now using coins like Zen and Monero for an increase in privacy. And we do see, I'm surprised that Zen's actually not on that list if they're only accepting Monero. But uh, we do see, obviously, the Darknet is a place where you want complete privacy. You don't want other people to know who you are, where you are, how much uh, you own, what your net worth is, and all that stuff. So having Monero as the only cryptocurrency they transact with uh, is definitely showing that there's some, let's say, not great things that are transacted within the Darknet. But... I think it does show that there is a massive amount of privacy in projects like Monero and Zen, which are important because if you have an extremely uh, censoring government, let's say, for example, China, and you want that privacy, you know that you can trust in Monero or Horizon to give you that privacy you are looking for and need. Yeah, and I mean, when you're dealing with the darknet, that's basically just the concentration of the baddest people online, whether they be buying, selling, whatever they may be, may be buying or selling. So stepping away from Bitcoin just to have that little higher degree of privacy is definitely something in their respective best interest as they continue their own illicit online activities. And so I think on that bombshell, that is a great way to finish off our New Year's Eve episode. Again, we thank you for spending your time with us. Uh, the day is January 30, December 31st. Keep making that mistake. My brain's in 2021. Uh, pass it off over to Keith to wrap it all up. Awesome. Well, yeah, like Nathan, Nathan said, thank you very much for tuning in for our 44th episode. We uh, did a podcast every single day for December. So... If you've been staying um, dedicated and listening, if you've been in and out, if you've been enjoying our content, we truly appreciate your time. We truly appreciate the comments and the nice words and the engagement and for you to express your uh, interest in cryptocurrencies by talking to us. We really, truly love it. We like helping out and uh, just being able to bounce ideas off of each other, look at 
kind of larger perspective, fundamental stuff. We like it all. So hopefully you will keep uh, continuing to enjoy the podcast. We will be continuing them throughout 2021. Uh, might not be the daily podcast for 365 days, but uh, we'll keep definitely pumping them out. We really enjoy making them and hopefully you're enjoying listening to them as well. So on that note, thank you very much for tuning in to our 44th episode. Until next time, have a good one, traders.